You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those that? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Podcast, you name. Downloads, I give. Fanholes, damn it, it's Fanholes, all right? The pop culture podcast made for the fans by the fans. Fanholes Podcast? Yes, damn it, Fanholes Podcast. How can you be deaf with ears that big? Fanholes Podcast Forbidden! Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another exciting, stupendous, awesome outer space episode of Fanholes Podcast. As you may or may not know, the sequel to the J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, Star Trek Into Darkness, should be out this week, or, uh, um, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, because we're recording this, like, months in advance. Um, but, uh, we had yeah. to slingshot around the sun and record this. Yeah, we, we took our bird of prey and we we went back in time and we're recording it before, so we don't know too much. But yeah, as of as of the podcast's release, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness is in the theater, so we're doing a big Star Trek podcast this week. And uh, the two main things we're going to be talking about this week is the IDW ongoing comic book series, which is the movie-based series. It is based on the J.J. Abrams universe. And uh, as of this recording, there's been about... 14 issues or so, maybe by the time this is released, they'll be in the 20s somewhere, but we're going to give our thoughts on that and kind of what we think of the first, uh, you know, about the first year's worth of issues and everything from IDW, and then also, uh, you know, we, we've done a Star Trek podcast before where we kind of did some hate on Star Trek Voyager, but uh, now we're going to do some lovey-dovey stuff, I think, and we're going to be talking about Deep Space Nine, and so that'll kind of be our, our second half of the show and then, uh, you know, if anything else comes up, you know, we might want to discuss, I know, uh, you know, supposedly, you know, quarter three, 2013 is supposed to be a really cool Star Trek video game. And maybe we'll delve into that a little bit. But, uh, you know, joining you tonight, this is Derek, Derek WC. And I'm also joined by my fellow fan holes. So give a shout out, guys. Hi, it's Mike. And I have felt the love of the paw wraiths. <laughs> this is Grimlock. And remember... Keep fighting for Cardassia. Cardassia. Yeah. See, I get that now. <laughs> See, now, now Mike gets it. Now, You're in the know. 
we've given Mike a, a big crash course on uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Do you guys just want to talk about that now to start with for a little bit? Like, just talk about, like, some of the, the episodes that I guess we had Mike watch and, and what, you know, I guess what episodes maybe are, you know, some of the standout episodes and, and maybe some favorite characters and things like that? Sure. That future, that space station, all those people, they exist in here. In my mind, I created it. And every one of you know it. You read it. It's here. You, you, you hear what I'm telling you? You can pop a story, but you cannot destroy an idea. Don't you understand? That's ancient knowledge. You cannot destroy an idea. That culture, I created it, and it's real! All right, so, uh, uh, you know, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is, is the third television series in the franchise. It's, it's you know, it's set in the same universe as Star Trek The Next Generation, if anybody's kind of new to the whole thing. And uh, it features uh, a group of Federation uh, Federation Starfleet officers who come in, and they're on a Cardassian space station. And originally, that space station was part of Cardassian's occupation of the planet Bajor. And so Bajor is now joining the Federation, or in the process of... And so you've got uh, a space station, a Cardassian space station, that's manned by all these Starfleet officers and everything. Um, and so, you know, it, it was a long-running series, like most of the Star Trek series, you know, like Next Generation and Voyager. It ran for seven years. It had a, a seven-season run. And, uh, you know, I, I guess what I always like to say about most Star Trek shows is everything starts to get grooving, you know, at least by the fourth season, you know. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I think... Uh, I think it can be a little painful to watch the first three seasons of, of Deep Space Nine um, because they're they're a little more methodical and kind of I don't know I, I I'd say you know it just takes a little while to to uh, you know for it to get grooving and get into the whole you know Dominion War and all that kind of stuff they set up things way in advance and everything but I think ultimately if you if you stick through it you know or or even if you you know I don't know like what my dad ended up doing was. He watched the first season and watched some episodes of the second season. And then he's like, all right, when, when do we get to the good stuff? And I just had him jump into, like, the fourth season so he wouldn't <laughs> lose interest. And uh, and after he, he did that, like, he just kind of watched it the whole way through. So, you know, I, I mean, I always – I'm kind of a firm believer in that, that, you know, I you know I guess Mike might even tell you, you know, it's like, oh, the majority of Derek's quote-unquote favorite episodes on his cheat sheet list were from – like seasons five and six, so I mean those are kind of like my big favorite seasons. But uh, w what about you, Mike? I mean you're all kind of pretty new to this. I mean this is pretty much the first time you watch Deep Space Nine on on a regular basis, right? Yes, pretty much. Uh, well, I, I should I should say like I should tell the the listeners that like uh, a few months ago, like you and Justin, I I had both of you compile a list of like favorite episodes of the series and like send them to me independently, and then I like merged the two lists into one like super list, <laughs> and like I, I I ended up watching about fifty episodes altogether, and uh, pretty much what you said is true. It's like. Between, like, the first three seasons, I think you guys only gave me about a dozen, maybe, episodes to watch, but, like, I got the feeling that, like, you know, in retrospect, you're happy, like, you'd watch those seasons, but, like, while you're actually doing it, you're kind of like, man, this is slow. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Like it, like a, you're happy that like these characters have been built up so well that like when major shit happens in later seasons, you're like, yeah, you know, you, you it's uh, what do you call? It? You're you're really attached to them now. But I, I'm sure, like, yeah, like uh, going through them the first time, it was it was kind of slow. The- there are things I appreciate. Like I, I wanted to ask you this because I remember you saying that you thought um, Nog was so annoying. Like I really love his character arc because he starts out like this whiny, like Ferengi kind of a brat kid, and then he like you know takes this unexpected turn. It's like he's like I want to go to like Starfleet Academy. Well, really? Like you? <laughs> you want to go to Starfleet Academy? But he ends up becoming such a better character for that. Like, everything he goes through in the war, you know, like, he loses his leg, and he has to go through that. Like, I thought that was a great episode. Like, I, I really like his character arc. It Like, I remember, yeah, like, you guys saying, like, man, they really, like, make you love, like, Nog and Rom and, like, all, like, you know, that whole family. And, yeah. like, yeah. yeah, even even as much as, like, in... in uh, what do you call? It? As far as like in in season four or five, I was still kind of like, ah, eh, like how could I possibly love these annoying <laughs> characters? But yeah, you're right. By the by the end, by season seven, I was like, wow, you know, I do like them now. You know, they're 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 okay by me. Yeah. You know, pretty much. If Shep wants me to be Nagus, he's gonna have to let me do things my way, or else I turn down the job. Are you serious? You bet I. Being Nagus will make you rich. I don't care. I won't preside over the demise of Ferengi civilization. Not me! The line has to be drawn here! This far and no further! I think I think it was that episode where like uh the the, the whole Ferengi clan went to the past that like kinda like finally got me oh, to say, Okay, they're cool. So yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that that was pretty much the episode where I was like, okay, you guys are okay, you know, <laughs> where where like Rom's all tied up and he's like Moogie, <laughs> <laughs> and like they're trying to torture him and stuff. That's funny, but yeah, definitely, I definitely agree with that because like the first, I think you showed like you you both like suggested a season one episode that had like Nog in it or um I forgot which one it was, but I was like, man, this guy like this like whoever the actor can barely like talk through the like, those like fake teeth and stuff <laughs> and I'm like like yeah, this is pretty annoying but, oh, Jake, but, but what's going on, Jake? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But definitely I, I went on the journey with them pretty much. Well, it's interesting because the Ferengi, you know, they, they didn't really start out that way. I mean, if you look at the next generation, it was like they were trying to build them up to be like the next Klingons, like they were going to be this brutal warlike race. And of course, you know, in, in, you know, I guess novels and comics and other, you know, explanatory things, they have to kind of go, oh, those were just some weird barbarian Ferengi that showed up on that one episode in the next generation, pretty much. And it's like most of them are, you know, this society that they, they built up, you know, with the whole gold press latinum and all this kind of, you know, the, the Marauder Mo action figure. I mean, I don't know how you can't be, you know, I mean, all of us at one point or another have collected action figures, so I don't know how you can't fall in love with that kind of shit, you know? What really, what really cracked me up, and I think it was in that like same episode, is when like like Quark and like Ram are arguing, and they like they think they're maybe dead or something, and they're like, you know, this doesn't look like the divine treasury or whatever, <laughs> and then they they like they then they think they have gone to like their equivalent of hell, which was like what was it? It was like. Uh, 
um, the something of eternal destitution oh, or yeah. something. <laughs> and like Quark's like, impossible. The bar was turning a profit. <laughs> <laughs> that that really cracked me up. Or, or like later, like in some other episodes, like Quark's describing like the afterlife, and he's like, you know, and and the uh, the, the the doorman will accept my bribe and admit me into you know the divine treasury, you know, the stuff like that really cracked me up. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a testament to all the actors too. I mean, it, you know, I guess it's unfortunate in in most kind of Hollywood things, it's always kind of you know, uh, even on TV shows, too, you know, it's like, oh, the pretty guy and the pretty girl and all this other stuff, you know, and you've got all these really great character actors, and, of course, they don't care. They want to, you know, make their bones and earn their money, and they've got all this makeup and cake stuff slopped on them and everything, but, man, like, all these guys, you know, like Armin Schimmerman or Jeffrey Combs, you know, it's like, it's great. Like, how many guys does he get to play on that show? Like, I mean, I think that guy's the man as it is, yeah. but, I mean, he's like... You know, he gets to play uh, the the what's his face, the Ferengi dude. That's always brunt. Uh, yeah, Brunt. You know, and then he also gets to play Wei Yun, and then you know he goes on to Enterprise, and you know it's just all that kind of stuff. I just love he plays it, like know? four or five Wei Yuns. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, I just yeah, I, I think all that stuff is awesome. So and and you know, I mean, all, all those kind of guys that that work on all that stuff. I mean, obviously, it's not comfortable to be in that makeup and everything, and they still you know get to show a good range of emotions and, and, you know, archetypes. And, and like you say, the character journeys, you know, that that's kind of what makes it worth it to stick with the show. I think, you know, is, is the yeah. journey you take with all those characters. So that, you know, by the end of the season, you know, even though I, I, I think there were some disappointments for me in season seven, but I mean, overall, you know, it's like, you're, you're happy that you took this, this kind of grand. I, I, I agree. I think you told me like long ago that like season seven kind of felt like an afterthought to you. And I kind of agree with that, like feeling like like the Dominion War was pretty much already almost over. And, you know, they just had to handle a few more things. And like even like at the very end, they're just kind of wrapping up all these like lingering plot lines and stuff. Yeah. Like, like, especially the very, very end, where, like, the Dominion War is, like, finally, formally over, and, like, you know, the, uh, what do you call, like, Cisco gets the, the Cisco gets the message, he's like, you've got to go stop the power rates, like, now, dude, like, and he's like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> I always think that scene, though, it cracks me up because I know we, we had a show where we uh, ragged on Beast Machines and, you know, how Primal and Megatron are always wrestling, falling into pits and stuff like that. But also, you know, the whole kind of final showdown with Gold Ducat and, uh, and the Cisco, you know, is, is the whole, you know, it's the Prophets versus the Paw Rates and everything. And that always kind of reminded me of, oh, so this is how they're, you know, like, I mean, I guess I, I see how everything's kind of tied up in a nice, neat bow. And I, I remember people talking about about how they really enjoyed the spirituality of his his journey, like the ending of it, you know, kind of coming from a guy who basically, you know, you might even say that Cisco to begin with was almost an atheist. Do you know what I mean? And by the end of it, he's not only a firm believer, but he almost is one with with the gods of Bajor, you know, pretty much, you know, so... There's- so, so like that. In that sense, I see why people have like an appreciation for it. But then, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, here's what I don't get. Like, if the prophets could make an entire like armada 
like vanish in their wormhole and if they could if the pod rates could like undo like Gal Dukat's plastic surgery in a second why couldn't they like pull Cisco's ass out of that hole or whatever and like prevent him from dying or becoming one with them or whatever I I think it was always part of the plan like I think the whole I mean it's supposed to be this weird cyclical spiritual thing like I think he always was in the wormhole like I mean I know that's kind of like supposed to be mind-blowing but it's like you know it's like you know how they don't see things as linear so i think yeah always, that's true it's yeah. always meant to be that way do you know what i mean like i yeah. don't think i don't think it's an accident that he's in there like i think i think that's why people kind of fall on that spirituality thing where you know even when i remember when uh, ronald d moore was doing the whole battlestar galactica thing and a lot of people thought that that was going to go a similar way that you know a lot of things you would have to take on faith and so it's kind of you know, to to a lot of people, that's kind of what that represents. It's like it's not to to most people. Like it's not, it's not like when we get confused about the end of Char's counterattack, and we're like, "Well, what happened to Amaro and Char?" You know, and you have to sort of like, "What the fuck's a T sphere?" It's like it's more to me. It's 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 in that vein of of kind of a, a little ethereal, but but to me, it's a little more solid because you're like, "Oh, he's in there." And, you know, they kind of have the scene with the major and his son, and they kind of... I don't think Jake's going to end up like he ended up in that one episode where he was, you know, Tony Todd. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. I think it's a little more upbeat, kind of like he knows, you know, has more faith that where his dad is, where he's supposed to be, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that, that's yeah. kind of my take that's on cool. it. Yeah. But, you know, having said that, I can understand, you know, because I, I think when I watched it at the time, I was kind of like, what? Like, you know, like, you, you kind of feel funny because, like, you, you know, you kind of want these guys to go out in a blaze of glory or, you know, I, I don't know what. But, you know, I, I, I think that spiritual ending kind of threw people a curveball, I guess. But, what, I mean, no, that, that, you, you, you explain it well. Like, I, I can accept that. I was just like the first time I watched, I was like, I was kind of like, though, you know, like, what, dude, come on, you know, you no, put no, him no. I mean, all this I, shit like, and can't even like let him go home to his family. But, like, but I think, on. I think that's that's the natural reaction to have. I mean, I think I had that reaction myself. I mean, I was going to ask Justin what what his initial reaction to all that was. But, I mean, I, I kind of felt that way myself. You you kind of fight against it because you have to – you're kind of like, what? Like, it's almost kind of like how Goku, like, flies off at the end to go fight. And you're just kind of like, but he's got a wife and a kid and responsibility that he doesn't care about so he can go fight this oob kid. Like, what? <laughs> you know, like, you're, you're kind of like – you're like, hey, wait a minute there, buddy. Like, hold, hold, hold the horses. But – you know, it's like there's also another aspect to to the Cisco's journey. I guess that's different from you know just you know knocking boots with Goku or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean <laughs> when when you when I saw that ending, like it didn't upset me. I mean you you want Cisco to like finally you know it's like he's building this house on Bajor and he's got a kid on the way and he's married. So you want him to like you know finish everything he's got tied up. Like the war's over. You know you want him to like. Uh, allow Bajor to enter the Federation. Like, that's the whole reason they're there in the first place. I was kind of, like, disappointed they didn't do that. Because it seems like they kind of forgot about that. It's like, they're on that space station. They want Bajor to join the Federation. That's why they're there helping them out. But they didn't do that. But anyway, you want Cisco to have, like... You, you want him to have the happy ending. And he doesn't really get it. But like Derek said, he says his life isn't linear. So he could be back tomorrow or yesterday. So I always took that as, like, you know... 
you know, and maybe maybe if they had like their darkest hour, like you know, the Cisco could come back, or you know, he could come back and visit them, and like from their perspective, like they wouldn't even know it. You know what I mean? Like he could just kind of yeah. like hover around them, like he's like you know Obi Wan ghost or something. Like they wouldn't. Even <laughs> or you know, it's like it's like Barry Allen showing up to help out Wally West at like the the yeah. the eighth hour or whatever. You know? Yeah. Arise, Jacobus Prime. <laughs> no, <laughs> Jake is like the Jake is like Tony Todd. <laughs> Jake's like the only Tony character I, I didn't like. Well, I, See, I, I actually I liked Jake. Like I, I, he, I thought he was like the most tolerable Star Trek kid I've ever like seen. Like well, you know, at least of the ones that are are in that mold. Kind like, of. And like you, you writer types, you got to stick up for your writer buddy, you know, because he's exactly he's, he's yeah. writing his hollow novels and all that good shit. You know, like he's. He's, uh, you know, a young man learning the ropes and everything. I thought it was interesting. Like, I think my my favorite episode is um, is probably in the pale moonlight and stuff. Yes. And I I thought I thought it was interesting because I was just reading on the the Memory Alpha wiki. They were saying how the original draft started out as like being some kind of Watergate scandal where like Jake uncovers what his dad's doing, and eventually huh. they just kind of they just kind of you know remove Jake completely from the the whole plot because they figured, you know, the the relationship, the bond between father and son they set up so well that it it didn't come off as true to them and they you know, they went in a different direction with it. But, you know, I, I just kinda thought that was like an interesting tidbit about that episode that I you know, I didn't know about or whatever. So like I I, I would agree with that just because I guess it would it would send Jake more into like Wesley Crusher territory where he'd like you know do something bigger than what he was pretty much mm. i guess yeah he's like i don't want to go to starfleet i want to be a traveler right <laughs> but like i like i had been looking forward to that episode because i love the romulans i mean i like the klingons but i, I kind of feel like they're always like too they're usually too often they're too overexposed so anytime the romulans show up i'm like excited i'm like yeah romulans so i was like when are they gonna like make an alliance with the Romulans, you know, I'm like they could just go to him and be like, "Look, the Klingons have been fighting the Cardassians for a long time, and now they're fighting the Dominion. So, like, if you guys help us, we'll turn a blind eye because the Klingons will be weak, you know, you know, wink, wink, like, you know, we'll we'll look away." So, like, when I when I saw the preview for the episode, I was like, "Man, finally, Romulans are going to enter the battle, and it's going to be great." But it, like, I mean, it was like that. But it was so much better just the way the episode was set up with, like, you know, Cisco getting into the shady deal with Garrick, who's, like, one of my favorite characters. And then he kind of, like, regrets that deal, and, like, he doesn't expect Garrick to, like, go to such extremes to, like, secure that deal. And then you find out, like, Cisco is okay with it because he knows what's at stake. Like, man, that's such a great episode. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that episode, and I, I'm secret brothers with you, Justin. Uh, Ga- Garrick is definitely in my top two characters. Uh, frankly, I think I can be quite an asset to Starfleet. With my extensive experience, I could skip the lower ranks entirely and begin my career as a commander. Uh, maybe you should suggest that in your letter. Tell them you'd be honored to serve under me. Do not play games with me. You have no desire to join Starfleet, do you? No, I'm afraid I don't. Then why all of this deception? Because lying is a skill like any other, and if you want to maintain a level of excellence, you have to practice constantly. When I was watching the final episode for the first time, like I was so nervous. I was like, man, if Garrick 
gets killed or goes out yeah, like a punk, yeah. I'm going to be so pissed. <laughs> but then he gets to kill Wei Yun. I mean, I, I love Jeffrey Combs, like Derek, but I'm just like, man, he's such an ass. So, like, well, no, when no, he that, shoots him, what, I was like, yeah. yeah that was a good that, moment. That's yeah. what's great about that, though, because those guys are so good at being evil, evil fucks. Like, I fucking hate Kai Wynn. I probably already said this, but she's an evil, evil bitch. Like, so, <laughs> you know, it's like just watching, like, those guys be evil, like, you know, and you just... Man, you just like hate them so much, you know. They're they're really good at I don't know, getting under your skin and stuff, you know. What what I, what made it even better is like Wayne's like last dying words, he's like, I'm the last Wayne or something like that. I'm like ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I really liked uh like uh, I forgot when it was, but uh like Garrick like tries to destroy the founder's planet. Like oh, the yeah, great yeah. Link. and he's he's kind of like you know what's a little genocide in 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 you know in service of you know pro- uh, protecting my home world or whatever, and like I guess he gets he gets thrown in the brig in between seasons I guess after that for like six he says something like I was in the brig for six months you know and that, he was like you got off lightly for like attempted genocide or whatever. <laughs> what what's another great thing is like they have these great characters who just kind of show up in the background or they show up once. And they turn into so much more like Damar. Like he starts oh, yeah. out, he's just like a weapons officer on that bird of prey that Ducat captures, and he has like a, just one or two lines. But by the time that like they attack Deep Space Nine and take it over, like he's like, you know, his first officer, like he's like second in command or something. Yeah, well, then, I mean, he almost he almost goes from becoming a dude in the background to being like George fucking Washington and shit. Yeah. You know, like, like, one of my other favorite characters is General Martok, and, you know, first time you see him, like, he turns out to be, like, a changeling, and he gets blasted, and then, like, it's just almost like an afterthought. It's like they meet the real one, like, on this, you know, Jim Hadar pl- prison asteroid. Like, he's, like, in all these, like, cage fights, you know, and Worf has to, like, take his place, and then he becomes such a uh, a great character on his own. Like, he kind of, like... Let's war further explore, like you know, being a Klingon and you know, getting his house back and all this stuff. Like, I really like General Martok too. Yeah, yeah, he is great. We won't drink blood wine. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Even like like a character like Morn, who I guess was just you know always at Quark's bar, and he gets like an episode to himself, like in. <laughs> Yeah, the last season that I quite enjoyed yeah. with, the, you know, him d- dying, quote-unquote, right. and, you know, yeah, that was really good when Quark gets, like, is his, like, sole inheritor or whatever, and then, like, it turns out, like, Morn had this whole other life and stuff. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so let me ask you guys a question. Do you like uh, Jadzia or Ezri better? Well, that's tough because Jadzia is a traitor and went off to do Becker. But um, <laughs> but I I I do kind of like Jadzia a little better than than Ezri, just because you know I, I guess I had been watching the show obviously when it was on the air and stuff. So like when when that happened, I was just kind of like there was that little. I think that's part of the the maybe reason why season seven is a little less awesome to me than like five and six because maybe there is that i i mean i don't mind uh you know the actress or anything it's nothing against her or anything it's not like i i hate you know esri or anything like that but it's just one of those things where you were just kind of like oh oh <laughs> you know kind of like you know just you're like oh well you're like i guess you know that's just how it worked out you know 
Esri was just kind of there for me. Like, uh, I, I kind of expected, like, I didn't know, like, I knew, like, she, what the what the deal with the, like, Dax symbiote was, and I kind of, I was thinking maybe, like, the next season that, like, you know, it would show up again with a new host, but I didn't know she was going to become, like, a, a regular, like, cast member, so I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool. And, you know, she she was okay for that whole season, but she she never really, like, distinguished herself. Like you know, too much, I guess. But you know, I liked Jadzia, but Ezri was just kind of there, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like Jadzia got to do all the cool Klingon shit, and you know, she was Worf's wife, and you know, like all, all that stuff. I, I have a lot of fond memories of all the Klingon stuff on Deep Space Nine, just because you got yeah. to explore it a little more. You know, whether it was with Worf or Jadzia or you know Quark or anybody like that. You know, like I liked watching all those kind of. Klingon centric episodes and stuff, and uh, she was a big part of that. Yeah, I, I always liked that second season episode, Blood Oath, where they've got the three original Klingons from the original series yeah, teaming yeah, yeah, up. Yeah. Like, that's a fun episode. They have to go after the albino. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that, I did end up watching that one, so I liked that. Got Mister Freeze, you know. Oh yeah, my I was I was I was I was like, man, that guy's voice sounds familiar. Where have I heard it before? And I was like, oh, that's what's his face, Michael Ansara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Mr. Freeze. Yeah, I get, but that was good. Um, I really I gotta I gotta mention this. The the baseball episode was like awesome. Like <laughs> yeah. that was like the highlight of season seven yeah. to me. That was like I I was laughing every couple seconds. Just like I I freaking love when like uh, Odo like called like a, a foul or or a strike on Worf and Worf like went ballistic on him <laughs> and then like like you know Cisco Cisco comes out of the dugout and goes ballistic on Odo and Odo throws him out. You stole the run from us. You stole it just as if you reached up and tore off the scoreboard. You stole it from us. You. Yeah, out of here! What? No player shall at any time make contact with the umpire in any manner. The prescribed penalty for the violation is immediate ejection from the game. Rule number 4.06, subsection A, paragraph 4. Look it up, but do it in the stands. You're gone! And, like, Cisco just walks past the bench, like, muttering to himself, like, calls a strike, he calls a strike on me, you know? <laughs> I'm the Cisco. <laughs> and then, yeah, when, uh, uh, they're, like, taking the field, and, like, you know, Cisco's like, come on, you know, let's hear some chatter out here. And, uh, and like, Worf just goes, death to the opposition, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah, good. My my favorite part is like where they can't find the baseball, and they're like, "What do we do?" Wolf's like, "Find him and kill him." <laughs> yeah, that was very good. I gotta give. I guess I gotta give special mention. Like I said, I liked Garrick, but I also really. I think Odo was probably my favorite character, and I don't know why, but I I just really liked uh, what's his face, uh, Rene Abujanwa. Uh, his his just portrayal of the character i guess yeah he, i don't know he, he, no he definitely i think had a yeah. lot of episodes where you you really you really felt his pain and his suffering and things like that and especially the, i think that's part of what made the journey with those characters really great is you know whether or not you you love uh you know the major or not you know major kira it's like their friendship 
and then relationship and, you know, just all the things that Odo had to go through and even her, you know, like all these different kind of, you know, it was a, you know, kind of unrequited love for many seasons. And then, you know, and then it was kind of out in the open, but it wasn't quite official. And then it finally just became official. And, you know, it's like you kind of went through this big, long kind of journey with him and, and, and even, you know, his friendship with, well, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call it, quote unquote, friendship, you know, rivalry with Quark, you know, all those things. So I, I think those were all highlights of the show. I know, I know like Odo and Quark were like the main rivals, but I always loved every scene that like Odo and Gara shared just because they were like you know like I really loved that scene the the part the um episode where like Odo accompanies like Garrick to that like uh Cardassian like Romulan alliance and like Garrick has to torture him and stuff that was a really good scene so what about you Justin I mean is there anybody like in terms of characters that you think are stand out I mean I know you mentioned Garrick but do you like I know Mike just mentioned Odo like is there anybody else you want to Give a quick shout out to or anything like that. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I would say like Garrick is my favorite character. Like, I know he's not even a main character; he's like secondary. But man, I love Garrick. Um, I thought like Doctor Bashir had this kind of strange character arc. Like, once they, you know, out him as like being uh, genetically altered. Like, basically, he's like Khan. You know, and you're like, wait, he's. You know, he's, like, altered, like, Khan this whole time, and, you know, he's, like, this super genius, and, like, I, I don't know, I kind of, like, when I remember first watching that, I thought it was really weird. I was like, okay, are they going to, like, try and make Bashir, like, evil or something? Is, like, is that the direction they're going to eventually go? Like, I'm glad they didn't go that way, but he he has such, like, a strange character or that, but, like, those episodes where he's helping the other, like, augmented humans... You know, those two episodes, like, those are some great episodes. And, like, I I just like his friendship with Chief O'Brien because they seem like such unlikely friends. Yeah, and they, they well, that's another thing, you know. It's like you, you start from point A and get to point Z by the end of it, you know. They, they kind of start out as, like, who the fuck is this guy, you know. <laughs> and by the end of it, you know, they're they're pretty much the best of friends, you know. So Yeah, like, I, I think, like, on the first episode, like, Dr. Bashir just kind of, he's like, you know, I could have had any posting, but I wanted to practice frontier medicine, and he's kind of, like, stuck up and arrogant, yeah. and then, like, later on, I think he's like, well, I got, uh, I'm in over my head here, and then he, like, forms this kind of attachment and bond with Chief O'Brien. I guess I must, I guess I didn't get many of Bashir's, like, arc episodes, because it seemed like he kind of leaped from, like, at first I was thinking he was kind of like a rookie doctor and stuff, and then, like, I guess a couple seasons go by, and then, like, uh, like ne- then he's kind of, he felt kind of detached to me, and, like, you know, I guess that's, he felt, like, a little, like, superior, and I don't know, he, a lot of scenes he's in, he's just kind of really calm and stony, and I was like, what happened? And I, I kind of had to look up, oh, like, I missed a bunch of episodes that explained, like, all this stuff. I don't know, but, it's, you know. it's weird, like, to me, like, Bashir's probably, like, the the Jordy LaForge of Deep Space Nine for me. Like, he, he, it's like, he's he's an integral part of, of the ship's functioning, but I I don't, you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm like, oh boy, a Bashir episode, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I, you'd never really catch me doing that, which, you know, is just, just... You know, I guess my taste or whatever. You have your giant Bashir is number one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'd rather watch an episode about uh, Thomas Riker's uh, false beard than uh, 
appreciate it. <laughs> I liked that episode because I was like, <laughs> even a two year old could tell you <laughs> Tom Riker, not <laughs> William Riker. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the things I love about the show is that they weren't afraid of all the continuity and they, they had access to a lot of the actors and different things like that and all the nods and shout outs they had, whether it was to, you know, the original series or the animated series or, you know, all the ties they had to the next generation and stuff like that. So, and, you know, there was that. Speak- Speaking of that, I was going to say the Tribbles episode was really good, too, when yeah. they went back to the original episode. Yeah, so you yeah. Now, now I, you know, like you say, I'd rather see Jadzia in the, in the old-school oh, yeah, yeah. Star Trek uniform than Ezri, so. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> that, that was, that was, yeah, that was a really good scene where they're like, I think I'm, Chief O'Brien's like, I think I'm going to like the past, you know? <laughs> yeah, Dr. Bashir thought he was, like, in a predestinational paradox to be his own grandfather. <laughs> yeah. I, I really liked when, like, Odo and Worf, like, Worf was like, that is a triple, and Odo's like, you mean the feared enemies of the Klingon Empire? Are these little furballs? <laughs> we do not like to talk about it. Or, yeah, they they see the proto-Klingons, yeah. and it was like, oh, those are Klingons? What the hell, man? You know? <laughs> yeah, Worf's like, we do not discuss it. You know? I kind of I kind of like that better than the... I mean, I know they had their clever, clever John Byrne episode in Enterprise that, like, explains it all, but I, I kind of always liked that uh, Deep Space Nine thing where he's like, we do not like to talk about it. I, I dug... Uh, I know, just, like, last Star Trek episode, I think I remember, like, Justin and Tony were talking about, like, Gold Ducat and stuff and how he was kind of like a Magneto-type character. And uh, I thought he was pretty cool, but, like, I guess the last season they ran out of things to do with him, because I, I was, like, joking to you guys, like, you know, oh, he he took the Lex Luthor, the Kevin Spacey Lex Luthor, seduce an old woman to gain her trust. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I just remember, like, being afraid they were going to try and do this weird love triangle of, like, Major Kira, Ducat, and Odo. I was like, I really hope they don't go that way, because it's like... They hated each other, but had to work together. I was just like, I hope they don't push it that way, and I'm glad they didn't. But I don't know. I think, I mean, I like Ducat, but I think they kind of went in, in season seven, like you said, he kind of went into like su- comic supervillain territory where he's like doing all this crazy stuff. Like I kind of miss like the old renegade Ducat, like fighting the Klingon Empire on his own terms. Or well, I guess I guess that speaks to. I mean, I think that's why he seems like a Magneto type character because you know you've got the old evil Magneto who was just a terrorist douchebag who killed people and stuff like that, no matter what his his good intentions were, you know. And then you've got that, that transformation of the character, you know, just like Gold Dukat eventually, you know, like you're describing, you know, becomes the rebel and he's actually, you know, kind of fighting for a cause and is not just an evil guy who, you know, tortured Bajorans and did all kinds of nastiness to them, you know. But then sort of, you know, eventually it comes full circle and he, he kind of goes back to being what he was at the beginning of the show where it's like, you know, he's pure evil, you know, like basically is how they tried to portray him. And, and to some people you're like, well, you you maybe fell in love a little bit with him in his gray area mode. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people do with Magneto, where they're yeah, like, see, oh, you know, I like Magneto as an X-Men. I like Magneto in this moral gray area where he does things that, you know, maybe other people wouldn't do. And so you can kind of, I mean, I, I guess since we're kind of talking about it, and I sort of forgot this topic, but we were, we were going to kind of talk about our favorite Star Trek bad guy that is not... 
you know. So so I sort of forgot about it. But I mean, for me, I mean, I would say that Gold Dukat is one of my favorite Star Trek bad guys. You know, that's not, you know, that that is not Khan. So I mean, I just I was I was gonna I was just gonna add about Dukat is I really loved that episode when him and Cisco were stranded on that yeah. planet. And, like, Dukat's slowly, like, going insane. And yeah. I, I kind of, like, uh, after that, like, Dukat, like, hates him more than ever. And I thought, like, he was going to, like, go back to, like, the Dominion and be, like, you know, an important part of that. But then, like, in Season 7, he just kind of goes back and he was like, I've got this crazy plan, see, you know? Yeah. Just give me this thing, see? And I'll, I'll, I'll go do this crazy plan, see? And then, like, he just does this... You know, thing off on his own for all of season seven. Well, so I, I was I'm, like, I'm, oh. I'm guessing uh, Mark Alama was like, "I'm tired of wearing this fucking makeup." See, like, <laughs> can I just be on Bajor and get the little nose nose rift for for the whole season? You know. <laughs> okay, you got to wear this crazy earring now. See, <laughs> you know, like he's like, "I had it, I had it. I can't wear the the golden cut headpiece anymore. It hurts my shoulders." But, uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I mean, you know, it's like you, 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 you kind of wanted him to do some really super, if he was going to go back to being evil, you know, you wanted him to sort of go back to being evil, like as a badass, you know, on a space station or something like that with the dominion and things like that. But instead he's kind of, you know, it's more of the kind of spiritual thing where he's spiritually evil instead of, you know, he's like this corrupt you know, snake in the garden of Eden or, you know, whatever it is. And that's not quite what you were hoping. He, you know, you wanted him to be a little more strong and malevolent kind of. Yes. Yes. That's right, isn't it? I knew it. I've always known it. I should have killed every last one of them. I should have turned their planet into a graveyard, the likes of which the galaxy had never seen. I should have killed them all. I was going to say, like, I spent a lot of my youth, like, writing my own, like, Star Trek, you know, fan fiction stories or coming up with neat ideas. And, like, before Deep Space Nine ended, like, one I came up with was, like, you know, if the cut's going to be, like, the messenger for the Paw Race or other, whatever, I always thought it'd be interesting if, like, he discovered there was, like, a Paw Race temple, you know, like, the... The prophets have the wormhole, like the Paul race would have like their own fiery like temple thing and like they would like open it near DS nine and like all these like you know, Paul race would come pouring out or something like I always thought that would be a neat idea. Kinda like the the Ghostbusters or something, but with like evil Paw race like flying all over the place. Yeah. Well that sounds cool. I like that. What about like bad guys? Like I know we kind of forgot to I forgot to mention it in the beginning, but like do you have like favorite bad guys that you want to mention like either you know, it could be Goldukad from Deep Space 9, but I I guess this is more of a broad question. Like it can be bad guys from any of the the various Star Trek TV series and films and stuff like that. I mean, if I had to if I had to throw out an honorable mention, you know, it would probably be for Christopher Lloyd, you know, like, you know, I give you two minutes. You, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'd say like, I do really like, uh, Gold Ducat a lot, but is there any other villains that you guys want to give shouts out to while we're, while we're talking um, about bad guys? Like I, I wouldn't call him a bad guy, but I would probably go with Q. Q, but I feel like celebrating. I don't. All right. I love any episode with Q. Like I, he's more of like a troublemaker. Like, 
You know, he's like somewhere between like the Joker and like the the prankster or something. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like well, Loki, I mean, almost. Yeah, I was gonna like, say like, like Loki, like maybe. Like I said, I wouldn't call him like a bad guy, but if if I had to pick like a really, really for reals bad guy, like I would probably pick Goldicott. Yeah, I think I think Hugh's still a good choice. I mean, you know, because you know, as opposed to Bashir, you know, when I when I see that there's a Q episode, I'm like, ooh, a Q episode. <laughs> I actually am kind of excited about that kind of stuff. So, and even when he, you know, I, I think it's a strength of, of you know John Delancey, you know, as an actor or whatever. But but you know, just that you you really find yourself enamored with the character even though he doesn't necessarily do nice things you know and then and then on top of that that he he seemed to make the for a time besides like major barrett he was like always in like at least in one episode or more of of all the subsequent series you know so like i you know i i liked seeing q interact with the deep space nine crew or interacting with uh you know, the Voyager crew and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I I did enjoy when he was in that Deep Space Nine episode and, like, Cisco just, like, decked him. Yeah, and he was like, yeah. Picard never hit me, you know. <laughs> well, like, one of, not Picard. <laughs> well, one of my favorite books is um, called Q Squared by Peter David, and it's basically like a showdown between Q and Trelane, if you know the character like Trelane from the original series, who is basically like a Q, and, and they kind of like the squire of Gothos, right? Yeah, and they basically try and say that like Trelane is a a Q. Like I don't want to ruin the the plot of the book, but it, it's it's probably my favorite Star Trek book, and it has all these different time periods. Like they're going to like the time period of. Um, Yesterday's Enterprise, where you know Tasha Yar is alive, and they're at war with the Klingons. And there's another time period where like Jack Crusher is alive, and there's another time period where like uh, Picard is not in command of the Enterprise. Some other like nobody, no name guy is. But it, it's a really great book. You know that that kind of reminds me of uh, like speaking of Q. Like I remember one of my favorite audiobooks was they got Leonard Nimoy and John Delancey and they just basically it was it was like Spock versus Q but they were having like this big sort of de- you know philosophical debate between each other so it was like Vulcan logic versus you know I guess the Q continuum's philosophy you know and mm-hmm. so I always thought that was kind of cool cuz they actually had the actors to do it so you could just sort of listen to these two guys kind of go back and forth with each other and stuff like that what about you, Mike? Is there any is there any uh, famous Star Trek bad guy that you want to give a shout out to that we haven't talked about yet? Don't say Viger. 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 He puts you to sleep. He's he's fantastic. <laughs> Greenlight it, Larry. Oh no! Now I've always had a soft spot for the Borg, and I guess that's not really a, a like singular villain. I guess I'd have to like the Queen. I guess is the figurehead or whatever. But like you know, the the Borg in general, I've always felt they were really threatening and really like you know, uh, really actually like kind of scary. Like I remember being a little like was like put off by some of the things like especially i think the thing that always put me off is uh that episode where um there's like all the alternate enterprises and like there's the one commanded by like will Riker, who's like they're from the universe where the the borg have totally taken over and they're like totally desperate and they're like we won't go back and you know they blow up and stuff and i'm like even even a two-year-old could tell you that frazzled william Riker did not want to go back to his no (laughs) no (laughs) 
Yeah, so I, I've always, uh, yeah, liked the Borg. And uh, honorable mention, I've always liked Lore. Like, I, I, I always yeah. thought that Lore was pretty cool. I, and, think, you know, I think Lore's a great villain. I, I thought it was too bad. Like, I know maybe it was too much continuity for uh, for movie execs or whatever, but I always thought it would have been cool to give, give Brent Spiner, like, a evil role in one of the Next Generation movies, you know, like, to have, you know, Lore show up or something I thought would have been cool, but... You know, obviously they didn't want to go that route in some of these movies. Yeah, and he threatened to kill Wesley, so that give, gets him, like, a lot of points, you know? <laughs> the troublesome little man-child. Are you prepared for the kind of death you've earned, little man? It's like, you know, he's like, leave the room and I won't kill your annoying little brat, you know? Five, four... Three, and he's like motioning like Beverly to get out of the room, or he's actually gonna. I, li- I like Wesley. how she she's like she's trying to like fight it, but then eventually like she <laughs> runs like a bitch, you know? Like she's like, yeah, exactly. Runs out of the room like a good well, mom should. It it was Q's imaginary pig soldiers who finally did stab Wesley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Q wins. Damn it! Damn it to hell! <laughs> I wanted to kill Wesley. Like in, in my fanfic, Pa Wraith Gold Ducat like uh, bitch slap. Uh, Wesley the Traveler, so there. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I I, I guess uh, if we if we keep talking Deep Space Nine and villains all night, we'll we'll never get to the IDW comic series. So we're just going to transition over here in a a not so subtle manner to uh, talking about the IDW comic series. But you say he's from the future, knows what's going to happen. Then the logical thing is to be unpredictable. You're assuming that Nero knows how events are predicted to unfold. The contrary, Nero's very presence has altered the flow of history, beginning with the attack on the USS Kelvin, culminating in the events of today, thereby creating an entire new chain of incidents that cannot be anticipated by either party. An alternate reality. Precisely. This is an ongoing series that uh, IDW's released, and like I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, it's based on the you know the movie universe the J.J. Abrams verse that has been you know I guess forever altered by the events of that movie. Um, so uh, most of the basic plots of the comics, uh, uh, not all of them. There are some original stories that are specific to that universe, but but I guess the kind of hook to the series is that a lot of the uh, issues are based on original teleplays from. The original Star Trek television series. So, for instance, like the first two issues uh, are based on, you know, the second Star Trek pilot, which is called Where No Man Has Gone Before. So, you know, they have similar beats and everything, but things are just, you know, kind of like kind of like how Jules explains to Vincent Vega, you know, about Europe. You know, things are just a little different, you know, so it's like, you know, they, it's like a Royale with cheese in this universe, you know, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, but um, I, I guess, uh, has everybody, I mean, have we read, like, everything that's that we need to talk about? Like, has everybody read a little bit and stuff? Read it all. Yeah, I, I read, read them all. 13, I cool. think, I, I th- if that's the most current one. Yeah, I think, I think it's up to 14 now, but, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much, I mean, we're all pretty much uh, on top of things and everything. But I, uh, I think 14 was about... The little midget guy, Keener. Or Keener. Yeah, it was it was it was kind of like Scotty and Keener's yeah. origins, you know. Like if you, if oh, so IDW was pushing their like Star Trek drift, Keener. Or Don't call him drift. Well, he was he was actually in the damn movie, so <laughs> yeah, I know, can't, I know. Can't be drift. 
Like Drift would be like if uh, if like there was this cool Orion slave girl that was like really hot, but then she had like ninja swords and like, <laughs> you know, like and she commandeered a starship, but she didn't wear sexy clothing so as not to piss off all the female fans. Like that would be like Drift, you know. And we call her we call her uh, I don't know Barbara or something. I don't know Barbara Green, <laughs> whatever it was. But um, yeah, I mean I I enjoy. Uh, reading the IDW stuff. I mean, even, even beyond just the ongoing series, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of Star Trek and I, I haven't read everything that IDW's put out as far as Star Trek, but like a lot of the mini series and different various, you know, series that they've had, the spotlights, you know, a lot of the stuff that John Burns worked on, like the, you know, Dr. McCoy frontier doctor stuff. Like I've really enjoyed all the stuff that I've gotten a chance to read. Um, and this is, this, you know, I, I have to say, I mean, you know, some things I kind of, you know, look at funny because it's, you know, the alternate version of the universe. But for the most part, I mean, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with, you know, it's it's enjoyable for me to read. And then as a as a big fan of the original series, like, you know, I was telling Justin, I just kind of went through and kind of was watching some of the episodes that they were based on just so I could, you know, if people wanted to interrogate me on on what the differences were between the uh the, the comic and the, uh, the, you know, actual television episode, you know, I could point out like a lot of big differences and stuff like that, because, you know, stuff like where no man has gone before is, is very different because that pilot didn't even have Dr. McCoy in it, you know? So like it, it kind of changes things drastically. So where, you know, they, they had, uh, you know, hot lips from the mash movie who was playing the, you know, a psychologist, you know, her name was Daner and like Daner, basically teams up with Gary Mitchell and they're both, you know, like super powerful mutants with the silver eyelids and all that stuff. So the, the episode, you know, the, the story takes a kind of a slightly different turn, you know, so, you know, than, than it would. I thought it was interesting that they didn't include that character in the, like the new Abrams verse, like, you know, like they've been trying to, people are guessing that if, you know, uh, Cumberbox's character is not con that he's going to be like Gary Mitchell or something. Okay. So maybe like the absence of Daner is like a clue, but like I, I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of like, like you, I'm kind of skeptical. Like they're kind of like trying to hype the comics too much to get people to buy them or something. But uh, because yeah. there's like they keep saying like there's clues, you, you got to look. But that's like that's the only thing I've like noticed so far. Yeah, it's weird because it seems like Gary Mitchell is actually in that story. I mean, it's not like the first time a movie has come out and said, fuck you, comics, you don't exist. Yeah. But but at the same time, I just kind of would like to believe, you know, I'd still have that hope of like, you know, oh, well, why would they approve this story if if they had plans for it? You know, like you think that, I mean, of all the, the Star Trek teleplays they could choose from, do you know what I mean? You think they could have just vetoed it and been like, no, sorry, we're using Gary Mitchell in the movie, like use some other teleplay to do a story about. Like it, it wouldn't be that hard, you know, like, yeah. So um, I, I'm just going to go ahead and get this out of the way. The only issue or issues, I guess I should say, that I didn't like was that two-parter with um, mm-hmm. Sarek and like all those renegades, like trying to blow up uh, Sarek or something. Is evil. Yeah, I, that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Which, I, like, I understand like Sarek would be different, like if he lost his wife and his planet. But I, I don't know. I just didn't like that two-parter. Like, I don't know really, how you feel about it. I, I, I think, to me, like, I, I see, like, some of the realism in it, but at the same time, like, 
I to me, like I guess people who like the whole Gene Roddenberry version of Star Trek, where you know people don't deal with that kind of stuff that's in episodes of Deep Space Nine, you know, like yeah. in the Pale Moonlight, you know, it's like they they want everything to be sort of hunky dory. But you know, it, another thing that's interesting about it is you know when they're talking about the Dominion War in that episode, I think they said, oh well, the Dominions invaded. Beta Z or something like that, and that was supposed to be like a huge deal. But yeah. like, I think in the original scripting, like one of them said, like, you know, why don't we have them invade Vulcan? Because you know they wanted to make it like a really big, huge deal, you know. And but but then even even back then they were kind of like, you know what, like Vulcan's a little too close to home. Like, let's make it Beta Z, and that's what they ended up doing, which I thought is interesting because clearly, like that movie, the Abrams movie, really wanted to hit you home because not only did it wasn't like they were just invaded, like Vulcan was, you know, blown the fuck up, you know. So it's like yeah. that totally, obviously, you know, it's, it's their way of saying like, okay, anything can happen in this. You know, whatever you think you know, you know, you don't know it because anything can happen in it. And so, you know, I guess, it, you know, this is just kind of like an aftermath of that. I mean, my my only kind of take with it, which I don't really seem to understand that much, is they, they seem to be coming from the point of like, you know, vengeance is an emotion and that's illogical. And I kind of went, well, you know, sometimes vengeance can be emotionless. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, you talk about people who are cold and calculated, you know, it's like, I may want revenge against you, but that doesn't mean I have any emotional investment in it. You know what I mean? It could just be as simple as like, you, you know, you blew up my planet, I'm going to blow up yours. And, and, and I have no feeling for the people that are on that planet. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I don't know how how illogical that is, but uh, but if if that's the kind of pitch that they wanted to uh, sell, like that's kind of how they went with it, you know. I mean, I, I thought it was a little, you know, they tried to do a little clever Kirk stuff where they had Spock dress up as the Romulan and all that <laughs> yeah. kind of stuff in the comic. I mean, there were, there was some good parts to it, but I, I think I think maybe you you naturally be a little more judgmental of the original stuff just because you know it's it's going to be you know, like the film where you're like a little unsure of, of you know, it's like the, the original stuff. I mean, I, I thought, you know, of the original stuff, like, you know, the Scotty Keenzer thing was, was a pretty cute issue. And the, the thing where they were kind of going into the red shirts and the dude cupcake. I, I really like that episode or the, that comic. They kind of felt like the um, TNG episode lower decks where it's like all oh, the junior yeah. officers. Like, yeah, yeah. I like that episode. So I really enjoyed the cupcake uh, comic. Yeah. What about what about you, Mike? I, I mean, I know you haven't uh, said too much about the stuff, but is there anything you want to kind of throw your two cents yeah, in on? I enjoyed the, the like what I the, what do you call the series, and like I guess I come at it with a fresher perspective because I actually haven't seen like a lot of the original episodes that these are based on. Right. But uh, I, 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 yeah, my favorite issue was that uh, red shirt episode. Uh, red, I was now I'm saying episode <laughs> that red shirt uh, issue, and like I kind of liked the implication that like in like the new rebooted like universe, like that less red shirts die. It seems like the implication <laughs> was like because one of them says like yeah, you know, can you imagine you know like uh, they say something like you know, can you imagine that like you know in one one inch off and I would have been dead or something you know or something. And it, I, I took that as like an indication that they are dead in like the original universe or right, something. Right. So I, I really enjoyed that that issue. And um, 
I thought it was that that Sarek story. Like I haven't seen Sarek in a whole lot of things. Like I've seen him in his like next generation like appearances and stuff. So I, I might not like have an emotional like attachment to him or whatever. But uh, like I kind of thought it was funny how like you know he was kind of like to the other like saboteurs like you know leave me with my son you know I'll get him to see like you know our way what like what the logic between what we're doing right and they leave and then like. Like, two scenes later, like, Spock comes up with them with, like, Sarek in tow, and he's like, you know, my father has seen the error of his ways, and they're, they're, they're like, Sarek, you know, my God, we can't leave you alone for, like, two seconds without you betraying us, you know? Like, what do you need, half your hand blown off to get some, some gumption behind you? No. Yeah. No. But... No, but I, I pretty much enjoyed it, you know? They, they what do you call it? They were... Um, I wanted to ask you guys, like, how exact, how close were they to the original, like, episodes? Um, like, uh, I mean, I can go into this, because I, I did take some detailed notes on some of the big things. I mean, like, where No Man Has Gone Before, like, you know how Gary Mitchell, like, has his powers and everything? I mean, sometimes they would, they would move things around for the purpose of the comic book, like, scenes and stuff, but, like, Daner and Gary Mitchell, they kind of have a you know, like, for the 60s, it was kind of a romance-ish type thing. And, like, Kelso still dies in the original episode, but, like, in the original episode, like, Gary Mitchell uses, like, his telekinesis to, like, strangle him with, like, a, you know, like a cable or a wire or something. So it's not quite as intense as, you know, making the guy shoot himself in the head with a phaser and everything. And then um, I'd say, like, it seems like they try to rationalize some, like, next generation continuity in some of the issues, and, like, also that the whole, like, Kirk is awesome thing, like, because I, I think in, the, like, a lot of the original episodes, like, you know, Kirk basically has, like, a fist fight with Gary Mitchell, and you're thinking, like, I mean, I'm sure to most comic fans, they're like, well, Gary Mitchell's got, like, TK, man, like, he's a mutant, he owns him, you know, and all that stuff, but, like, in the original episode, it was kind of like, you know, instead of Spock helping out, with the Vulcan nerve pinch, it's that Daner woman because she has the same powers. So she kind of like zaps him for a minute and it's like, okay, you've got a few minutes to like do the Kirk chop and everything, you know, and they go at it for a little while. And then, you know, uh, Mitchell kind of gets his powers back. And so you're kind of like, well, what's Kirk going to do now? And then he kind of does like a tuck and roll, like shoots his rifle and the whole, you know, cavern or whatever falls on Gary Mitchell. Do you know what I mean? As opposed to this, where it's like, they, they try to make it a little more realistic, where it's like, oh, his superpowers are turned off, and then Kirk, like, shoots him in the chest. You know, so it's like, it, it seems like to me, like, a lot of that, you know, Kirk is awesome thing. You know, like, the whole, uh, you, you know, what is it, the the Return of the Archons, you know, like, in that original episode, basically, like, Kirk talks the computer into blowing itself up. Do you know what I mean? Because he's like, you know, he's basically like, do you help the body? You know, and the computer's like, insufficient error, you know, I cannot compute. It's like, you do not help the body because you're totally fucking shit up, you know, and it's like, you know, and the computer's like, oh, I cannot compute, like, and it just blows up and stuff, whereas, you know, in, in the in the comic book, it's kind of like, they're like, oh, we've got this big plan to, like, beam the computer into the cargo bay and we're going to stop it from you know, making the ship crash on the... I mean, it seems like the, because it's a pen and pencil comic, you know, their budgets are a lot bigger and everything, too. Like, it seems like they can do a lot more crazy stuff in the uh, the individual issues and stuff. I mean, uh, you know, 
and and then and then they kind of go into a lot of more of the backstory. You know, like I would say, like all the backstory stuff, like the the Section Thirty One type stuff with Sulu. You know, the the stuff where you know little Jim Kirk is in Iowa. You know, the the whole Operation Annihilate. I mean, that's drastically different because yeah, his his brother's alive. Yeah. I mean, in the original episode, his brother died. Like they show up on the planet, and it's actually William Shatner, you know, wearing like a little uh, mustache, and he's got some gray in his hair and stuff. And they're like, you know, he's like, Jim, is this your brother? And he's kind of like, yes, yeah, you know, it's my brother, you know, or whatever. And he's all <laughs> sad and sullen and shit, you know. And it's like the only person who lives in the uh, that that original TV episode is his nephew Peter. So you know, in 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 the terms of the comic book i mean that's like a lot more of a happier ending you know and they they seem to push the whole uhura spock romance a lot more especially in, in, in the galileo 7 adaption yeah yeah where where she like takes the shuttle out and saves them and everything like that doesn't really obviously happen in the uh the original tv episode or anything like that you know it's like the the, the tv episode it's more like it kind of like they steal spock's balls in that comic you know because it's like spock's <laughs> yeah. Fox the one who like actually like saves the day. It's like, yeah, he's a little irrational and he's not as logical as he normally would have been, but he gets the the shuttle up in the air and then he jettisons all the fuel and they're like, "What are you doing, man? Are you daft, man? It's all the fuel, man." You know, and they're all freaking out and everything. And uh and then they realize like he kind of did that as like a distress signal so that the Enterprise could see them, you know, in the nebula and everything, and he's like, oh, Bigorra Spock, it's like sending up a flare! You know, and like, they're then they're all like on his side and everything, and everything's hunky-dory, but in this, it's a little more like, you know, oh, Uhura's bucking orders, and so she can go make out with Spock at the end of the issue, and stuff, so, you know, things like that, you know, I, I mean, you know, I, I'd say, like, the ones that are the most drastically different are, you know, to me, is Operation Annihilate, you know, in terms of the outcome of the plot, and then and then the the triple one is obviously it's like it's got a totally different budget, you know, because it's like <laughs> it, it's nothing really like the. Uh, I mean, to me, it's nothing like the original television episode. So that's cool, though. I, I you know, obviously, I knew the Spock and Uhura like parts were like diff- obviously different, but uh, and I figured like some other things were changed, but that's pretty interesting, actually. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like they they take different things. Like, some of it is interesting because it's like, it makes sense to me in terms of a timeline change or an alternate universe, you know, where you're like, oh, I see, it makes sense that Daner isn't there. And they try to throw in some little, you know, explanation about it where it's like, oh, uh, she declined to come on the Enterprise. It's like, why? It's like, oh, well, Jim, uh, me and Daner, uh, we had a thing. It's like, you, McCoy? You know, oh, you know, or whatever. So basically they're insinuating that McCoy and Daner had this thing, and then she was all, you know, upset about, you know, him being on the ship, so she didn't end up coming on on the ship, which, you know, kind of is like, oh, well, that, you know, because the timeline's a little different, it reflects and results in in a change. But, like, some stuff, it's kind of like like Sulu being, like, you know, super stealth ninja from the Leaf Village in uh, in Return of the Archons. Like, that's not... Obviously, in the original episode, it's like Sulu's there, he gets zapped, and he's like, I'm fucking on weed! And he's just... (laughs) He basically he's he's like out of it for the rest of the episode. It's like it's like he's just kind of like Captain. It's paradise, paradise, paradise. 
Woods. You know, he's just totally, he's basically like stoned after he goes there. And then you never see him for the rest. It's like he's in the, the two-minute teaser, and then Sulu's not in the rest of the episode. But in, in the comic book, it's like they kind of play up, you know, all of Sulu's, you know, traits and stuff. So it's like, oh, Sulu's like stealthy. And he was, they try, you know, to me, uh, they don't come outright and say it, but it sounds like, like Section 31 tried to recruit Sulu because, you know, he's a badass and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there's lots of things that, to, and to me, those seem more like, like studio changes than, you know, like, like if a movie studio was writing this, then if it, it's as the result of some kind of timeline change. You know what I mean? Like the Asian guy, he knows kung fu. See, basically, yeah. Like that's kind of what it sounds like to me. Like where it's like there, there's certain things where you know they're they're kind of like coming up with stuff where you're like, well, like like in Return of the Archons, it's all men that they have the association with. You know, it's like uh, they, you know, it's all the older men because they don't participate in the festival. Like that's kind of like drastically different, you know, like, and, and it's like, oh, well, they, you know, it's like, the, the, these guys in the festival, it's like, they're running around like it's the L.A. riots, and they're just raping and pillaging, but they only do it, like, at noon or something like that, like, at a specific time, you know, whereas in the comic, they just kind of jump straight to, like, the townspeople being possessed, then attacking, you know, the, the Enterprise landing party and everything, so then they meet that chick Ariel, but it's like on the TV series, the guy who they meet was the guy who was in The Incredible Hulk. Who, I don't know if you remember or not, but the episode where, like, there's the evil Hulk or whatever, you know, the one, like, it's like there's a dude named Del Fry, and, like, he was, like, the original Hulk or something like that, and Banner goes to try and cure him. Like, that guy, when when he's in the non-Hulk mode, the, the janitor or whatever he was, the groundskeeper, Del Fry, like, that was the guy that Kirk and all these guys meet on uh, on that planet. But in the comic, it's like, it's a chick. And it's like, the timeline couldn't have changed that draft. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, it's like, that just seems like, oh, we need a pretty girl. You know, like, well, let's throw in a girl instead of a, a crusty old man. Like, that's boring. We need some sexy broads in here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, it just doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like a, uh, you know, like a timeline change. It just seems like, you know, some of them, it's like they're picking out things to be different just because, you know, it's like, you know, check it out. He's got a gold shirt instead of a red shirt. It's completely a different timeline. So. I get you. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I know, you know, I guess by the time this podcast comes out, maybe the game will actually be out. But um, I was just thinking, um, I mean, are you guys looking forward to that new Star Trek game that's supposed to be coming out? I mean, I've only seen like a kind of a, a minor trailer for it, but it looks like, you know, it's got, uh, you know, movie Kirk and movie Spock, you know, kind of back to back doing some kind of, you know, Mass Effect you know, Halo type thing where they're running around with phaser rifles and stuff. Like, apparently the villains in it are supposed to be the Gorn. So, I mean, that sounds kind of cool. But, uh, you know, I I don't know too much about it other than that. Um, I mean, does that sound like anything you guys would maybe be interested in? Or it's more like you'll have to see more of it before before it kind of comes your way? I guess I'd have to see more of it. I mean... I'm not, like, so big of a Star Trek fan that I just buy it because it's a Star Trek yeah, game, basically. Yeah, no, so, like, that. it would have to be, like, something really, like, special. It sounds like, like a, I like, mean, it does sound like that, that they're kind of, I mean, because I don't think people would compare it to Mass Effect 
and the game would suck. Do you know what I mean? Like, it seems like at least, you know, the people that like Mass Effect really like the game. So I'm, I'm just hoping they don't make that comparison lightly, you know, where they're just throwing it out there like a buzzword. But, yeah, it does kind of sound cool to me. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hoping there'd be a Star Trek game because I, I don't think there are too many Star Trek video games where I'm like, oh, shit, fucking A. You know, yeah. it's like Elite Force, oh, boy. You know, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, there, there aren't too many Star Trek video games where I'm like, oh, this is the shit. You know, like, I can't yeah. think you know, so. Even as someone who is a huge Star Trek fan, and like I used to buy almost anything Star Trek related, like Star Trek doesn't have the best history with video games, so I usually kind of stay away from them. Like my cousin will usually buy like any Star Trek video game, so I'll usually like ask him. I'll be like, "So how was yeah. you know how was Legacy or Elite Force or Shattered uh, Mirror or whatever that game was?" And he'll be like, eh, "It was so cool, you know, it was okay, but." Or, you know, like, Legacy was terrible, or, you know, Elite Force was whatever. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm hoping it, it breaks the mold, because, uh, you know, I guess the, the same way that maybe the Abrams movie has broken the mold and reached out to some more people who aren't just Trek fans, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to watching the movie and, uh, and, and seeing who the big secret hush-hush villain is and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> But um, I guess I guess we're kind of we're kind of through with talking about Star Trek for tonight. Major, shut that thing up. But we'll move on into our uh, our awesome thing of the week, and uh, I guess I'll go ahead and start off with our, uh, the Paw Wraith Master himself. It's on my Skype screen, uh, Mike. Why don't you uh, let us in on the secret of your awesome thing for the week? Well, uh, first off, I saw Skyfall uh, the other night, and I thought it was pretty awesome. It was a very good Bond movie, and it was a very good movie in general. And, you know, I, th- I liked that it kind of tried to, no, without spoiling anything, uh, it, well, uh, it, it kind of tried to, like, break the mold in a lot of ways. So in, at the same time, like, you know, homaging some classic Bond stuff. So I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, but my fav- my awesome thing this week is going to have to be Halo 4, which just came out, as of this recording, just came out this week, and uh, it, it was pretty awesome. Like, the campaign was really good, and uh, me and my friends have been playing multiplayer, and we're having a lot of fun with it. So, you know, uh, I'm sure by the time this podcast actually, like, legitimately comes out, I'll still be playing it. So, you know, cool. uh, I'm, no, that, I'm that very happy great. with it. And I'm like drinking nothing but Mountain Dew, like it works, so I can get the double XP caps, you know. So, yeah, That's marketing. Awesome. What about you, Justin? You got anything awesome for us this week? I guess me and Mike are secret brothers because my awesome thing is uh, Skyfall, and you know, like, like I'm a huge Bond fan, and I thought Skyfall was really great, and you know, there was a nice several nice nods to, like, some of the older films, like Q mentions Exploding Pin and, you know, lots of other stuff I could point out, but, you know, that I don't want to, like, spend 20 minutes talking about Skyfall, but um, it was really great, and I'll just further mention that I really like Adele's song for the main title, you know, Skyfall, like, the song came out, like, several weeks before the movie, and, like, I, I like the song, but it's like, when you see the song with the main title sequence, it's yeah, like... Yeah, that main, that, that main title sequence was really great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I obviously saw Skyfall myself. I thought it was pretty pretty good, impressive. I enjoyed it. Um, if 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 this is just the three movies for Daniel Craig, like I'm I'm happy with this as a uh, a going out note. But if there's more, then that'd be cool too. 
And then also, I just want to mention, I also uh, got a, uh, a new uh, Naruto uh, film on Blu-ray. Um, it's called The Will of Fire, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. Like, it, you know, I was kind of worried because I was like, oh, man, I haven't been watching uh, Naruto in a long time. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to keep up with this. Maybe there'll be a bunch of new characters that I don't know, or maybe like I'll get spoiled on something, you know, that I didn't want to know about because I haven't, you know, watched that many episodes. I think I probably only watched like 20 something episodes of Shippuden. And, uh, but, you know, for the most part, I, you know, I was like, I, I knew who all the, you know, the main characters that I was supposed to know and the characters I didn't know were all the, you know, the new villains and stuff like that. So, I mean, you know, I, I enjoyed myself. The, the Blu-ray looked great. And, uh, yeah. So I guess if, if anybody has any, um, you know, angry, uh, uh, emails or happy emails or <laughs> words of encouragement or what have you, um, you can send them to, uh, fanholespodcast at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, we've got our Facebook, our Twitters, our, uh, you know, all, all kinds of good stuff to, uh, to, you know, you can check us out on the blog spot. We've got, uh, you know, videos and stuff like that. Uh, by the time this airs, um, you should be able to, uh, check out some, uh, some top 10 favorite Star Trek comics at the History of Comics on Film website. And also, uh, we should be able to, uh, check out a, uh, Fanel sidecast that features the, uh, Filmation Star Trek just around the same time here for the Star Trek film. And so, uh, please give those uh, a look, a read, a view. And, uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And, uh, this is Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Why do you have to be so damned mysterious all the time? Tell me! This is Mike, and embrace the love of the Power Wraiths. This is Grimlock, and what does God need with the Starship? What does God need with a podcast? <laughs> Alright guys, peace and prosper. Justin, are you alive? I'm here. Okay, here? Good. Okay. Thank God. No one stole your brain? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> no one's controlling me with those dun, dun, control. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs>